Hello everybody and welcome back to our YouTube and podcast series where we're reviewing every single chapter of Harry Potter. Today we're talking about Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, Chapter 6, The Journey from Platform 9 and 3 quarters. If you're new around here, please do drop us a subscribe on YouTube, download the, the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you normally listen to your podcast to, and make sure to come along for the ride with us. Now, before we go any further, I've got quite a lot of explaining to do, especially if you're watching on YouTube, because this is the first time I've ever recorded a video outside of my parents' house, my room, back at home, back where I sort of come from. I'm in my uni house now, and I've had a little bit of a problem over the last couple of days. I knew that I was going to have today free, an empty house, no noise and interruptions where I'd be able to record, but I didn't really know what I could do. So I tried in my bedroom, there just wasn't enough space. The desk is tiny, so I couldn't really fit a laptop and a microphone on there at the same time. I tried in the living room, but unfortunately our living room, because of the sort of house we're in, the walls are very, very thin. And I just get a little bit self-conscious about disturbing people next door. I think, you know, we're in a uni house. They're probably in a uni house. They've probably got studying and stuff to do. They don't need to hear me rambling on. Or if they do, check out the podcast if you're listening to me now. Um, and then the last place that I tried was the kitchen. But unfortunately, I came downstairs this morning. And as what often happens when you live with sort of five or six, 20-year-old, 21-year-old lads, the kitchen's a state. And I thought, do you know what? That's a good hour and a half cleaning job, and I will do that later, but I need to get this podcast recorded while I've got a few couple, uh, spare couple of hours, and you don't really want to be looking at dirty pots and pans in the background while we're just trying to have a nice relaxing time talking about Harry Potter. So I've settled on this little spot here. Now, you won't be able to see much of it, but essentially I'm in this tiny little hole we've got that sort of splits a whole load of rooms. It's just sort of in the back end of the house. Behind the camera, there's the back door. To the left of me, there's the toilet. To the right of me, there's the kitchen. And behind me, there's the shower. Now, it's a really, really tiny setup. Uh, I'm sorry if there's any echo. Uh, I don't really know if there's any alternative, but I thought, you know what? I just want to get episodes of the podcast out. And now that we've got this new microphone, I think the sound should still be good hopefully, uh, better than normal and you know this is probably the best alternative rather than just you know waiting weeks and weeks between podcasts so whenever I get the chance I think this is going to be my little make do setup but hopefully the next time I get to record or at least in a couple of weeks time I'll be able to do some recording back at home if I pop back for a few days so that's my plan just to fill everybody in. Now, just quickly before we get into the episode, I know I'm rambling again. If you see me looking at my phone, it's because unfortunately at home I have my laptop, which is what I use for my uni work. And when I'm doing podcasts, it's what I use to record. I'm recording the sound and my face on it. And I have an old PC that I got probably when I was about 14 to play Minecraft on, which is pretty battered now, but that's what I stick my notes up on. Uh, unfortunately, while I'm here, I haven't got the luxury of a backup PC, so I'm going to have to use my phone because I can't use a notepad because my writing's terrible. And I am using LitChart Notes, which is what I was using uh, for the last episode. I know I said that I wasn't going to do it all the time, but it sort of caught me by surprise today having time to, I guess, make a video. And also trying to make notes in your phone, I just find it very, very awkward. So I am going to use these notes. If you didn't see the last episode, LitChart is a student website that does sort of summaries and analysis for popular books and books that you might study. So we are just going to nick these. I'll leave a link in the description at the top for anybody who wants to find them. They are very handy. I want to get back to using my own notes sooner rather than later. But for now, I think this is a very good alternative. I think it just gives us a different perspective of the chapters when we're reading back through them. But we will get back to homemade notes, if you like, uh, very, very soon when I've got the chance to get my normal setup back and actually have some proper notes next to me. 
So without further ado, let's head into doing a little bit of a recap of last week's chapter, chapter five, Diagon Alley. So we learned quite a lot, a lot of detail, very hard to put into a short little summary, but essentially Hagrid and Harry wake up on the floor in the old hut that the Dursleys had ran off to and Hagrid tells Harry that they need to head to a place in London to buy Harry's supplies for school. Uh, we head on a boat back to mainland, we go through London, the London Underground. Hagrid struggles with all the muggle stuff, but Harry somehow manages to help him through it, even though he's only 10 years old, well, just turned 11 actually. And they go to a pub, the Leaky Cauldron, which looks like a typical old English pub, but through the back door there's a back alleyway, and Hagrid taps a secret code with his umbrella into a brick wall, which opens up a magical passageway into the magical world that is Diagon Alley, a street full of supplies, shops, wizarding areas, wizards themselves and witches. It's Harry's first ever look into the magical world itself and we go with Harry and Hagrid essentially school shopping. We go to Gringotts and collect money and we find out about a mysterious package that Hagrid has to pick up for Hogwarts that may or may not become relevant later in the story. We go to Madame Alkins and collect robes and we meet a fairly unpleasant pale boy who we believe is going to be in Harry's year in Hogwarts. We buy a wand from Ollivanders and we find out that of course his wand is the brother wand or shares a phoenix tail from the same phoenix as the wand that gave him his lightning scar obviously belonging to Lord Voldemort. Hagrid then gives Harry his train ticket. He has to leave from platform nine and three quarters at 11 o'clock on September the 1st to get to Hogwarts before mysteriously vanishing. Now that was a very short recap, obviously, of a long chapter, but it was a lot of just explaining and setting the scene for the wizarding world. So if you are interested and haven't seen it, please do go and check out that one because I really, really enjoyed making that episode. But without further ado, got a chapter notes open. Let's talk about chapter six the journey from platform nine and three quarters. So to start with, I actually made a little bit of a mistake. A few episodes ago, I said that the last time we'd see the Dursleys was when Hagrid gave Dudley a pig's tail and they ran off into another room. That was completely wrong. Uh, if you were here from episode one, you'll remember that I mentioned that I'm not an expert on Harry Potter. I do love them and I have read them a couple of times and watched the films multiple times. But they're such a long book series, there's a lot to remember. I do forget little details and stuff. So we're actually back with the Dursley family again. I completely forgot that obviously Harry's still got the whole of August. He's got a month worth of summer holidays left. And we find out that things have changed a little bit, not massively. There's still mutual dislike between the Dursleys and Harry. But given the fact that they're now practically terrified of him, They've left him alone. They just act like he's not there. They ignore him. If he walks into a room, they don't say hello. If he sat in a chair at dinner, they don't even respond, um, which I guess maybe suits Harry, but he admits it's quite depressing and lonely, I suppose. Well, I don't know. What what would you prefer? Would you prefer to be tormented or completely alone? It's, it's, a, bit of a, it's a bit of a depressing thought, really. At least we know that Harry's about to enter a world where he'll be a lot more accepted and loved, hopefully. Um... So Harry spends a lot of time in his room with his new owl keeping him company. He's called her Hedwig, uh, which is a name he found in one of his new books, A History of Magic. Harry's been reading his school books, obviously looking for something to do. It's not like he's got a mobile phone or something uh, to keep him entertained. He's not got a TV or a computer. He's not lucky enough to be given anything, really. So these school books, suddenly, which are all about magic, are fascinating. Although, I'll be honest... I'm lucky I've got a PlayStation, I've got a phone, I've got a laptop. If I suddenly had a load of magical school books and a magic wand, 
that would probably divert my attention for a month, no problem. Uh, so Harry stays up reading them late into the night. Uh, you know, what else has he got to do? He's not got any friends. He's not been spoken to by his family. It's all very, very sad. Uh, Harry then goes and asks... Uh, Vernon for a lift he says you know he needs to get to King's Cross for the 1st of September and he tells Vernon that the platform the train's leaving from his platform nine and three quarters Dudley and Vernon and Petunia are all reasonably surprised because in our world the muggle world you have platform one two three four five six so on so on there's no nine and a half six and three quarters four and a quarter that doesn't exist so but you know to vernon that sort of i guess is amusing uh, he makes a little joke saying oh why do you need to get a train to get to hogwarts are all the flying cars flying carpets broken or something you know he's he's a bit a bit horrible laughs at his own jokes one of those sorts of people who likes them but he's entertained by it because he's thinking hmm this is a chance for me to get one up on harry i'll take him to king's cross and i'll leave him on the platform and we'll never have to see him again so in his head he's got this smart little plan i don't know how he's not really clocked though that i mean this is the wizarding world you know they're going to have thought of that they're not just going to not have a platform i mean yes platform nine and three quarters to us sounds unrealistic but your son's just had a pig's tail sprout up from him that was given to him by a magical umbrella from a half-giant. Anything is possible now, Vern, and you need to get your head around that. Uh, so on the day that Harry leaves for school, the Dursleys drive him to King's Cross Station, which is in London, uh, where he's meant to take an 11 o'clock train from Platform 9 and 3 quarters. Vernon dumps Harry's trunk on a cart and helps him roll it to the platforms. Harry thinks he's been, you know, very helpful with this. He thinks this is odd from Vernon, but then quickly realises when Vernon starts sniggering that there's no such thing as Platform 9 and 3 quarters. And he leaves quickly laughing, which I thought, there's one thing hating the boy, there's one thing ignoring him in your own house, but... As far as he's concerned, he has literally abandoned Harry because he believes Harry's not going to be able to make it to school. I mean, is that a little bit too far? I mean, not even the fact that he doesn't like Harry, but you're probably going to get in serious trouble with the authorities for something like that when Harry, you know, if, if he gets picked up by someone on the station at night and they say, you know, what what's happened to you? Oh, well, my aunt and uncle dropped me off and I couldn't find the platform and now I'm lost. They're going to get in trouble, so maybe not your smartest idea, Vernon, but thankfully Harry will sort it out, because he's smart for an 11-year-old, uh, and wizards are too. Um, so Harry gets nervous, he stops. He starts, you know, pacing around, and he tries to ask about the trains at Hogwarts, but, you know, he asks one of the station guards, who has absolutely no idea what he's talking about. And at this point, Harry is literally panicking, because the train is leaving in the next 10 minutes. Just then, Harry hears a woman talking about muggles, uh, obviously... We've known, if you've read the previous chapters, muggles are non-magical people, but that is a wizarding term. So immediately his ears prick up, he's thinking, hmm, magical people, maybe they'll know what to do. Uh, he turns to find a plump red-haired woman, who we know as Molly Weasley, uh, talking to four boys and a small girl, all with equally red hair. He watches the oldest boy in the group, Percy Weasley, marching towards the dividing barrier between platform 9 and 10, and suddenly he disappears. Okay, now this is unusual. The next two boys, who are two twins uh, named Fred and George, follow the same path. So Harry's obviously a bit mind-blown now. Obviously, again, he's seen plenty of stuff that's surprising him about the magical world already. And you would start to get to a point where you're thinking, okay, anything's possible here, but you're never not going to be surprised by somebody just vanishing seemingly into mid-air, are you? I think that would catch anybody off guard, especially... Yes, he understands about the magical world now, but 
he's still new to it in that sense. He's basically spent a day there. It's almost like he had a school trip to Diagon Alley and now he's had a month back in the Muggle world. Maybe you'd even start doubting it, I guess. You'd start forgetting things like that. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm thinking, I'm trying to get into the mind of an 11-year-old boy who's only just found out he's a wizard. It's a bit tough to think how much he would understand and comprehend, but yeah, a little bit surprising, I think. So Harry approaches the woman, Molly Weasley, and she assumes that he must be a first year, just like her youngest son, the final redhead boy, Ron. Uh, she kindly teaches Harry how to get to the platform. You walk straight at the barrier between platforms 9 and, t- and 10. Try not to be too afraid while doing so. Um... So Harry starts doing this, he runs straight towards this solid brick barrier, he closes his eyes as he nears it, awaiting just to crash into it, as you would. But when he opens his eyes, a scarlet steam engine awaits in front of him, packed with people. He has found his way onto the platform, and he has found Hogwarts Express. So just to fill you in, if you're slightly confused, because that would be absolutely fair enough. So, essentially the way to get to platform 9 and 3 quarters is the brick wall barrier between platform 9 and 10. You run straight at it. You teleport, essentially, onto a completely magical platform that I presume muggles can't get to. I'm guessing that if they touched it, it would just be a solid barrier. Now, this gave me a few questions. The first one was, okay, well, how come no muggle has ever seen a wizard then magically disappearing into the wall? Is that just something like, like, what do they see when a wizard runs at that wall? They're not going to see them crash, but surely they don't see them disappear because... They'd be a bit stupid from the wizards. They're openly just trying to out themselves then because, you know, every 1st of September, you get hundreds and hundreds of wizards running at a wall and disappearing. So I had a few doubts about that because if you've never been to, like, King's Cross or St Pancreas or, like, one of the busy stations in London, like, Euston, whatever, there's lots of people all the time, especially at 11 o'clock in the morning. So someone over the years would have spotted someone. So I'm not too sure how that works. My other question was, how exactly is someone from a non-wizarding family meant to find out how to get to the platform? Was it just that Hagrid forgot to tell Harry and that normally it's mentioned to them somehow? Because I'm just thinking, like, if you if you didn't know that was what to do, like, not everyone's going to get lucky and find themselves in Harry's position where you overhear a wizarding family talking about it, because most wizards are a bit more secretive about that. So, a little bit of a, I guess questionable one like how how does everybody how do you work it out i don't know i'd be interested if you know let me know not how to get onto the platform i mean let me know how non-wizarding family muggleborns i mean find out i said that in a really really confusing way but i think that makes sense because i just don't know how you're supposed to work it out could be me maybe it's in a book somewhere i'm not a hundred percent but harry pushes his cart past the first few trained cars already packed with students Uh, He presses on until he finds an empty compartment. This is now on the train, uh, so he gets near the end and finds an empty compartment. Uh, He tries to push his car onto the train and Ron appears, offering to help him lift it onto the train, with some aid from Fred and George, the twins. When the twins get a closer look at Harry, they notice his scar and realise who he is. And they sort of start questioning him. They're asking, are you Harry Potter? Wow. Uh, As, you know, he was sort of used to when he first went to Diagon Alley, people were so surprised and excited to see him. Uh, Harry gets a bit embarrassed by this, though, and hastily boards the train. Now, this was something that was sort of suggested could happen by Dumbledore in Chapter 1. I think the reason Dumbledore wanted Harry to grow up in the Muggle world was because of this. Harry is very, very humble. The idea of people coming up to him, recognising him, being wowed by him and in, in awe of him is something that, you know, embarrasses Harry, whereas if he'd grown up in the wizarding world, it could have gone to his head, and it could have become somewhat of an obsession. 
And I suppose if you become cocky, obsessed as a young, powerful wizard like Harry was always bound to be, that could always become very dangerous. So I think, again, we've mentioned it quite a lot of times before, but another example of Dumbledore being the smartest wizard by an absolute mile. He just knew what to do, and he's created a very lovely boy in Harry. Even though Harry's grown up in a horrible family, the fact that he grew up away from the wizarding world has definitely still been the right thing for him, uh, for sure. So Harry watches Fred, George, Ron, and Percy say goodbye to their mother. Percy says he can't stay for long as he's a prefect. Um, Fun fact, I was actually a school prefect too. I'm sure nobody cares. It was definitely not as interesting as being a prefect at Hogwarts was. We basically, once a week at lunch, had to go and sit in the lower school common room and just make sure the little kids weren't messing around or making too much noise. It wasn't very glamorous at all, but somebody told me that it could go on my CV. So I thought, do you know what? Why not? Maybe it'll be a good thing to do. I've still never been asked about it in an interview or anything to this day, but do you know what? It's all about experiences. Do it. If you get the chance to, why not? Who knows? Maybe you'll have a little bit more fun with it than I did. Um, Molly kisses him on the cheek. Goodbye. She warns Fred and George to behave themselves and to look after Ron. They then tell her with excitement that the boy they met on the platform is Harry Potter. The young girl, Ginny, asks to see him, but Molly says that he's not something to goggle at in the zoo and tells the boys not to ask any invasive questions. They all say a final goodbye and board the train. So just a little bit of context on the Weasley family. Fred and George, obviously twins, suggest, you know, there's a suggestion that they're troublemakers. Uh, They like to have a little bit of a joke. They mention to Molly when she tells them not to misbehave, something about blowing up toilets and sending Ginny a toilet seat. Uh, But, you know, they they seem lighthearted. It seems like banter, but they they also seem like, you know, intuitive. They recognise Harry straight away. They're excitable. You know, they're your typical teenage boys, I think. And I think... You know, I've never had a twin. I'm sure most people watching this haven't had a twin. But I suppose if you had a twin brother at that age, you probably would have been a little bit more cheeky and excitable because you'd always have that sort of devil on your shoulder to egg you on to do something and vice versa. So it's understandable. But, you know, we all love the twins, don't we? As for Ginny, now I wanted to go off on a little bit of a of a tangent about Ginny just quickly. So I don't know what everybody sort of watching and listening to this is first impressions with the Harry Potter series have been whether you've been you know whether you've read the books and watched the films maybe you've read the books and not watched the films maybe you've watched the films and you're reading the books for the first time if you have read sorry if you've watched the films and not read the books please do not judge Ginny Weasley on her film character now this is not a dig at Bonnie Wright the actress who plays Ginny but you know for example In the Harry Potter series, I think in general, most of the actors and actresses do a fantastic job of portraying their characters. And most of the characters are portrayed so well in the films. You know, I think the trio, Harry, Ron and Hermione, are perfect. Alan Rickman as Snape is incredible. Uh, Maggie Smith as Minerva McGonagall, fantastic. The casting is just perfect in Harry Potter and they're all played so, so well. But something just isn't right about Ginny in the films. And I don't blame Bonnie Wright because I think she's a very, very good actress. I think it's more just the way she was written. She just comes across as a wishy-washy, sort of moody character with not a lot of, I guess, character depth at all. uh, And almost becomes unbearable in certain scenes where you just don't want her to be there. If that is your only impression of Ginny so far and you're reading the books now, I'll just ask this. It doesn't matter for a little bit because Ginny is not, going to be relevant in this story again obviously we're off to Hogwarts now and Ginny's too young to go um so 
Don't think about it too much for now, but as we go through the series, please give Ginny a second chance. Her character in the books is completely different. Uh, she's just fantastic. Uh, lots more depth. She's a proper, strong, independent woman in this one. And, you know, obviously she's still young for now, but she'll develop and grow as a character as will everybody else. And I really, really like her character in the book. So please don't judge her off the films. That's my tangent over. I just had to go off on a little bit of one and just, just speak about that quickly. So the train pulls out of the platform and Harry feels this massive just leap of excitement because he's finally leaving behind this life that he hated and he's excited for what's to come. Even though he's nervous and he doesn't know what to expect, anything's got to be better than what he's leaving behind for sure. So he's in his compartment obviously on his own and the youngest red-headed boy from the family, the Weasleys that we just met, enters the compartment asking to sit with Harry because all of the other cars are full. Um, I'm sure Ron could have asked his brothers... And I'm even more sure they would have said no. So, you know, it's it's that we've all been there, year seven or whatever the first year of school is where you're from. You're all trying to make friends. You don't really know anybody. And if you do, then you kind of just stick with those people. But obviously in this situation, Ron and Harry have no mates. So it's kind of nice that they've fallen into each other's path, you know, this way. Uh, Ron asks him if he's really Harry Potter and if he has his scar. Harry shows him the scar and Ron just stares. Harry confesses that he can't really remember anything that happened from when he got it except the flash of green light. Now Ron is just stunned by hearing all of this. He can't believe he's literally talking to Harry Potter about Voldemort. But I mean it's it's weird because in Ron's situation, like that would almost be like, say, as a football fan, me going into a train compartment and sitting with Cristiano Ronaldo and just asking him about football. Like it'd just blow my mind. But and that's what Ron's sort of experiencing here. But to Harry, this is just, you know, he's just happy to have a friend. He's happy to have someone to talk to. I, I'm sure he'd rather talk about other stuff. But if it means making a conversation with someone his age, which is something he's probably never done, except for when he was getting bullied by Dudley's gang, he'll do it. He's happy. He's, he's enjoying it. So in turn, Harry obviously has loads of questions for Ron, probably more questions than Ron actually has for Harry. Um, he asked Ron if all his family are wizards. Uh, Ron says yes, um, and Harry says, you know, well, you must know loads of magic. And Harry wishes that he had three wizard brothers. Now, Ron actually corrects him and says he has five brothers, and there are a lot to live up to. Uh, he's got Bill and Charlie, who are the two oldest boys, uh, and they were head boy and captain of the Quidditch team, respectively. Uh, Percy's a prefect, uh, obviously the oldest brother who we actually met on the platform, and then the twins, Fred and George, who everyone loves because they're funny. Now, this sort of gives us a real insight into Ron as a character because we, you know, throughout the books, we sort of learn about Ron and we see that he's very, very insecure. He's a lovely person, quite hot-headed, but lovely on the inside, definitely. But he's very, very insecure because he's come from a long, long family of boys who have been very successful, head boys, prefects, uh, Quidditch captains, you know, obviously Fred and George being basically the school comedians, not necessarily the most talented in terms of academic, but very, very popular. And, you know, he, he obviously wants to live up to them, but then he also goes and makes friends with the smartest girl in the school and the most famous boy in the wizarding world. And it's this, this constant, like, fascinating battle with Ron about, you know, trying to be a good person, like we all know he is, but also trying to accept, you know, who he is and, and not wanting to always be better because he surrounds himself with you know successful people in that sort of way but 
you know, it's a real, I guess, reflection of Ron as a person, though, how he ends up by the end. You know, he's such a good character in that sense. But very interesting that even from just 11 years old in this first meeting of him, they're sowing the seeds for his personality. And, you know, it would be very difficult. I'm, you know, one of two, but I've got a younger sister. So for me, I've always been the oldest child. And I suppose it is different being like the firstborn in that sense. There is, There aren't, you know, platforms that there aren't necessarily things to live up to that younger siblings are going to experience because they've always got someone older than them who's done it first who's you know already got this far while you're still only at this level and it'd be difficult especially when you've got so many older brothers in that sort of way Uh, Ron goes on to sort of explain this and he says that any accomplishments he sort of achieved at school wouldn't be a big deal because his brothers had already achieved them first Uh, He also then says, you know, additionally, most of his things that he's got are hand-me-downs. He has Bill's old robes, Charlie's old wand, and Percy's old rat, which is Scabbers. So Ron's got a pet rat, Scabbers. Obviously, Harry's got Hedwig. So that's, I guess, kind of symbolic of Ron's family position. Lots of hand-me-downs, lots of second-hand bits. Uh, You know, a very non-glamorous animal in that sort of sense. You know, Ron's not from a wealthy family at all. He's from a very, very poor family, but a good family, a caring, a loving family, exactly what Harry would do anything to swap for. Ron says that Percy got an owl for being made a prefect, and Ron starts to say that they couldn't afford one for him, but he he stops himself. You know, to him, being poor is something to be embarrassed about, but to Harry, he couldn't care less. Sorry, I just heard the siren going on outside. I just got a little bit distracted. Very different to when I'm back at home. I've sort of got my own room at the top of the house, so I don't really hear anything that's going on. Whereas here... There's all sorts to hear outside. It's very interesting. I hope that didn't get picked up on on the microphone. Uh, But anyway, Harry sort of comforts Ron, saying that he'd never had any money or gifts or clothes of his own until about a month ago, when obviously he'd found the stash of money at Gringotts his parents had left for him. And he hadn't known anything about being a wizard or his parents or Voldemort. And Ron gasps at this when he hears Harry use Voldemort's name. Uh, You know, Harry simply says he didn't know growing up that you couldn't use the name Voldemort. So to him, he's I guess that's what he's going to refer to him as. But Ron's very sort of adamant that, no, it's it's you-know-who. No one says Voldemort. No one in the wizarding world, obviously, except for, as we learn in the first chapter, Dumbledore, and now Harry uses the word Voldemort. They're, they're all obviously, I guess, still terrified of him. But also, now you've got to a generation of kids who weren't around for Voldemort, but their parents are still so scared of him that they've just never mentioned the name in the house. So to them, his name is you-know-who. Uh, Ron comforts Harry in turn, saying that there are lots of people from Muggle families uh, and they learn quickly. So, sorry, I've just literally got a bit confused where I picked up on notes. But essentially, Harry sort of explains he's, you know, doesn't know a lot of this stuff about, you know, what to call Voldemort. And therefore, he doesn't really know anything about the wizarding world. And he says, you know, I'm worried about where I'm going to be in school. He thinks he's going to be the bottom of the class. And Ron sort of says, no, you know, there are plenty of people who haven't come from wizarding families. You know, you'll be absolutely fine. Which, again, is something, I guess... This is a wizarding version of what normal kids worry about. No one wants to be bottom of the class. No one wants to be seen as sort of stupid or not know anything. And Ron, you know, it's very interesting because Ron and Harry in some ways are completely different. They've come from completely different backgrounds. But in other ways, they're the perfect match for each other because what one person has, the other person hasn't. So they really are the perfect best friends for each other in that sort of sense. So at that moment, a woman passes by with a cart offering sweets. The sweets are all new to Harry. He's sort of gone out with all his money. He's thinking, oh, I can finally afford to buy loads of Mars bars and typical sweets that we have in the muggle world. But there's no such thing. 
there's things like uh, Bertie Bott's Every Flavor Beans and Pumpkin Pasties, all these interesting, sort of disgusting sounding sweets, but I guess I'm sure they're actually really nice. Um, so they're all new to Harry, so he buys a little bit of everything. He offers Harry them, uh, he offers, sorry, Ron them, but he declines. He says his mum's made him sandwiches that he doesn't even particularly like. But Harry forces them on Ron, you know, he says, you know, come on, have some sweets. He's loving the fact that he finally has something to share and he has someone to share them with, which is really, really sweet. So they start to open up these chocolate frogs. Chocolate frogs are essentially, as you'll have seen them in the films, these alive chocolate frogs that bounce around everywhere, but they come with little wizards collectible cards in them. Harry opens the, his card, and he's got Albus Dumbledore on it. Uh, obviously, Harry's heard the name Dumbledore because Hagrid was so proud to have been sent to collect him on Dumbledore's orders, but doesn't really know anything about him. The card explains that Dumbledore is the Hogwarts headmaster, most notable for his defeat of the Dark Wizard Grindelwald and his work on alchemy with Nicholas Flamel, among other things. Maybe remember the name Nicholas Flamel. In fact, I'm saying that. I'm going to say now, if you haven't read them before, you'll forget that name. And eventually you're going to hear it again and be pleasantly surprised that you heard it, you know, remembering that you heard it before. You'll, you'll forget about it, but it may or may not come back up again. As for Grindelwald, that will come up again much later. Or if you're following the Fantastic Beast films that are coming out, obviously you'll know a lot about uh, Grindelwald and that sort of battle because we've gone back in time towards those sorts of days when Grindelwald was in power and Dumbledore was a lot younger and being portrayed by Jude Law. Uh, which is very, very different. So as Harry and Ron just eat their way through loads of sweets, a boy comes in called Neville and asks if they've seen a toad he's lost. Uh, when they say no, he leaves miserably. Clumsy little Neville. I'm sure we'll find all sorts out about his clumsiness throughout the years. He seems that sort. You know, first day and you've lost your toad. Also, why have you got a toad in the first place? I suppose, why have you got a rat in the first place? I mean, I guess people just keep pets, but I wouldn't have really wanted a pet at school. But I suppose like, I look at Hedwig and I think an owl would be useful because of the post thing. And it is quite a beautiful animal. Whereas a toad and a rat, I don't know if I just want that in my bedroom. And I don't know if I really want to have to look after it at school. But I suppose if that's just what you do in the wizarding world, it's what you do. Uh, Ron turns back to look at his rat scabbers, confessing that having a rat isn't much better than having a toad, really. Uh, he raises his wand to show Harry a spell that he learned to turn scabbers yellow. When a girl comes in with a bossy sort of voice, lots of bushy brown hair, and rather large front teeth. She comes in and knocks and asks if they've seen a lost toad. Obviously, they say no again. This girl, of course, if you couldn't work it out already, if you didn't know, is Hermione, who will, you know, come on to be a very, very big part of these books. But anyway, let's continue. Uh, when Hermione sees Ron about to do magic, she gets very excited and asks to see it. Ron recites a quick rhyme and waves his wand, but nothing happens. Hermione wonders if it's a real spell, rattling on quickly that it's not a very good spell, and that she's tried a few spells and they've all worked, that her whole family are muggles, that she was very surprised to get her letter, and that she's memorised all of the course books. Ron and Harry are both stunned. So really, Hermione is that typical, I guess, sort of know-it-all nerd. And I don't necessarily say that in a mean way, but... Kind of similar to Harry. I mean, Harry was obviously fascinated to learn about the magical world. And, you know, he stayed up all night reading his textbooks. But Hermione has taken it to a complete different level. She has studied. She knows everything she wants to learn. She's just obsessed with it. She's fascinated by magic, which I think is 
I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not a very hard worker in terms of school. I didn't revise loads, but I like to think that if I got accepted to Hogwarts, that probably would have been me. I probably would have wanted to just learn everything. So I don't think I want to be too harsh on her, to be honest. Ron and Harry introduce themselves to Hermione, and she's obviously amazed to meet Harry. She says she's learned about him from a few books on modern magical history and the dark arts, which is kind of mental to think, I guess, if you're Harry, that you're in books, like spell books, but... Or, well, magical history books, I suppose, would be the right thing to say, but it's probably not the most shocking thing he's learned in the past month or so. She asks about what houses they think they'll be in, saying she hopes she's in Gryffindor. She then leaves, saying she ought to go and look for Neville's toad, and that they ought to change into their school roads because they've almost arrived at Hogwarts. Now, for anyone wondering, Hogwarts is in Scotland, so this would have been a pretty long journey, really. London to Scotland is a good few hours, so... They would have got through a hell of a lot of sweets in that time, but they're obviously almost there. After Hermione leaves, Ron comments that he hopes he's not in whatever house she's in, although he says it's a bit conflicting because his whole family's in Gryffindor, and he's kind of nervous that he might get put in another house. So really, he doesn't want to be in Gryffindor with Hermione, but they both want to be in Gryffindor. Bit complicated, but we'll see what happens, I suppose, and that'll be for the next chapter. A little teaser there for you. Um, Harry, seeing how concerned Ron is, asks what his older brothers do. Ron replies that Charlie studies dragons and Bill works in some capacity for Gringotts. So this sparks Ron's memory. Uh, someone just tried to rob a high-security vault at Gringotts and didn't get caught, he tells Harry. His dad says that it must be a very powerful dark wizard. They don't think the person took anything, but everyone worries when this sort of thing happens because, you know, they think it's probably you-know-who or Voldemort behind it. Even though he's been gone for a long time, obviously, people are still worried that, you know, if something bad happens, it's going to be linked to Voldemort. Because for such a long period of time, anything bad that happened was his doing. So I suppose that makes sense. Also, they've got it in their head that because he's so powerful, he's probably the only person alive or who has been alive, maybe with the exception of Dumbledore, who could break into Gringotts. And obviously, Harry, you know, we're sort of going to find out the one thing he was told by Hagrid at the start was no one would be mental enough to break into Gringotts. So alarm bells are ringing for him, especially because, you know, the package that they picked up. Isn't it very convenient that they picked up a package and not long after someone breaks into Gringotts and doesn't take anything? Uh, you know, you could start to piece together a little puzzle, I think, if you tried to. So a little while later, three boys enter Harry and Ron's compartment. The first, Draco Malfoy, who Harry recognises the boy from Madame Malkin's shop. Draco introduces himself and he introduces Crabbe and Goyle, his two cronies. Draco asks if Harry is in fact the real Harry Potter, before turning to Ron and saying, there's no need to ask your name. All the Weasleys have red hair, freckles and more children than they can afford. Not a very nice thing to say, is it? And also... No, they don't, because Molly and well, her husband, Arthur, who we haven't met yet, are the only ones with children. The rest of them are all bachelors, so I don't know what you're talking about, Draco. Yes, they all have red hair and freckles, but they've not all got kids. Uh, Draco turns his attention to Harry and says that there are some wizarding families that are better than others, and he can help Harry make the right friends, holding out his hand. Harry refuses to shake Draco's hand, and Draco warns him to be more polite, or else he will... Go the same way as his parents. Now, Draco's obviously not very nice. We could put that together from our little meeting with him in Madame Malkin's robes. But there's one thing not being very nice. There's one thing insulting Ron's family. But you've literally just met Harry Potter, a wizard that you've probably been taught about your whole life. And you're insulting his dead parents. You know, he's 11 years old, Draco. Like, 
how sick do you have to be in the head? Or more specifically, how sick do your family have to be to have created a boy this horrible? Uh, you know, but I think, if anything, this sort of segment of the chapter is just a credit to Harry as a person. He's literally only just met Ron. And all he's sort of learnt about Ron is he's insecure, he's got no money, but he already knows that Ron is someone he's going to care about and is worth being a friend over this horrible, rich, snooty boy who just seems to be nasty. So, you know, and, and it sounds like a stupid thing, but when you're 11, you can easily be swayed by, you know, what you think to be like the popular kid or the cool kid or, I guess, money and glamour and all that sort of stuff, but... Harry's never going to be like that. Again, credit to Dumbledore for choosing how he'd grow up rather than growing up famous. He's grown up very, very humble, and I love that about him. And I think this really cements straight away that this bond between Harry and Ron is, you know, even after just one train journey, very, very strong. Well, completely solid. Harry refuses to shake Draco's hand, and Draco warns him to be more polite. I've already been through that sort of stuff. Harry and Ron stand up, ready to fight. But before they can start to fight, Scabbers bites Goyle's finger. <laughs> Goyle howls, throwing Scabbers off, and the boys immediately disappear into the corridor. Hermione returns, wondering what's going on, and saying that they're going to get in trouble before they even get there. Which, you know, bit harsh, Hermione. It's not their fault that three lads came in threatening them. Bit harsh. You know, they were going to steal all their food at one point, I think. Uh, but well in, Scabbers. Good boy. You know, maybe I was a little bit harsh on rats. Maybe they do have a little bit of a purpose, protecting you from bullies. So a short time later, the train arrives. Harry and Ron join the crowd on the platform where Hagrid is calling for the first years to follow him, which is nice for Harry. You know, the second that he's arrived in this new sort of world, he's immediately reunited with the first person who brought him into the wizarding world, which is a nice little, I guess, comforting feeling for him, at least. He leads them down a steep, narrow path in the darkness of night. The narrow path leads to the edge of a great black lake, and perched atop a high mountain on the other side is a vast castle with many turrets and towers. Hogwarts. The students are in awe. Now, it's hard to describe the first look at Hogwarts. Obviously, we all have in our head, if we've read the books, our own picture of what Hogwarts looks like. But for the sake of anyone who doesn't, if you really want to get a feeling for how incredible it is, watch the boat scene from the Philosopher's Stone film when the students get their first look at Hogwarts, because that really captures it so well. It is absolutely stunning. It's such a cool moment. And it made me think, you know, for someone like Ron, you've grown up, obviously... From probably since he was old enough to understand things and talk, he'd have had brothers who were in Hogwarts who would have been telling him about how incredible it was. But yeah, you'd, you'd have never seen it because no one actually knows where Hogwarts is. We now know after the books are finished, latterly, it's somewhere in Scotland. But it's not like you could just go on a day trip and have a look at it. You know, these kids, even the ones who've grown up knowing about Hogwarts, have never seen it. So it would be quite a stunning moment, I think. So they take boats to the other side, arriving at the front door of the castle. Once there, Hagrid finds Neville's toads in one of the boats, which, sorry, Neville's toad, not toads, uh, he's only got one, uh, in the bottom of the boat, which, thank God for that. So now at least Neville can relax and enjoy his first day and Hermione can stop stressing and looking for the toad everywhere. Hagrid walks up to Hogwarts and he knocks on the large oak door and that is where our chapter ends. So I'm sorry if this episode was a little bit mismatched. I know I've been looking at my phone and reading notes and I haven't actually had a copy of the book. It was just a bit rushed to put this one together, but I thought I need to get this episode out there. I need to get recording just so we've got some backup ones in case I run out of time. But I am going to sit down for chapter seven now and make a whole load of notes, make sure I've got the book with me, try and get a little bit of a better setup going on and we can do it properly. So I hope you've all enjoyed anyway. 
little bit of a make-up one, but do you know what? We got here, we sat here, we talked about Harry Potter, and we finally arrived at Hogwarts, so I'm very excited to keep going with this book. If you haven't already, please do subscribe on YouTube, download the, po- the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, and I will see you next time. Goodbye.